podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the Marketers Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Welcome to a Celtic State of Mind. I'm Paul John Dykes and today I'm delighted to be joined by Colin Watt and Amy Canavan for the Axon Bulletin. Plenty, as always, to discuss. How are you in your parts of the world? Because we're, uh, we're obviously dialing in at the moment. Are you all snowed in? I know you'll be snowed in, Amy. What about yourself, Colin? It's actually not too bad. Um, I'm on a bit of lower ground compared to the rest of Greenock. Anyone that's been in Greenock knows it's quite hilly um, and you can go from... Uh, the, the bottom of the hill being having nothing to the top of the hill being like Narnia. I stay at the bottom of a hill, so it's not too bad. I can get out and about. It's not that easy. I mean, there was uh, big issues getting in to the studio today, so it's not easy to make your way about. So I've got to say the Green Brigade have been well prepared uh, in getting up to the park today. They've made their way up. They've made another uh, protest. They've made another statement. And it was very interesting. I just saw it before coming on to the, the broadcast. Colin Watt, these are becoming more frequent. I think that uh, the first thing I would say is they echo the views of uh, a huge section of the Celtic support. Every time they, they uh, unfurl a banner, it makes um, national news headlines, I would say, because obviously that's going to make all the, the newspapers, and we're talking about it just now. I think the frustration from the Green Brigade and, and those who share their frustrations is around basically the silence coming out of Celtic Park at the moment. Everybody was, um, you know, awaiting 
the response of, or the results rather, of the review. People are now looking back to what was said. Did it actually say we were ever going to get a response? Uh, JP has been liaising with people online, and I think he does that very well under the circumstances. Where are you with all this, Colin? Do you think that these efforts, as much as an effort as it is under the circumstances, as we've just described, are becoming a bit futile because the club are simply not listening? This is a an interesting kind of topic. If you if you think about it, if we were in the grounds, this is the kind of protest that you would see every game. That's the kind of banner that you'd expect to see from uh, the Green Brigade or the boys group or any other supporters groups within the stadium. Um, it's things that we've seen for years and years now. Um, there was the, the sort of one that I always remember is uh, don't take the eye off the 10 where they're driving in the car um, and you've got Lawwell and uh, Desmond and Lennon as well. And look, just because the board aren't responding, it doesn't mean that the fans should relent in what they're trying to get their message across. I mean, you see, as you mentioned, JP, he gets a lot of messages every single day um, just saying, look, when is this going to happen? When is the review going to come out? Now, as you said, I don't actually think it's said a definitive date. And that probably just helps the board. A lot of people have said it, and I agree. I think it was a deflection tactic when they came out and said that there would be a review. Um, I don't actually think we're going to see the outcome of this, probably until season ticket renewal time comes round. Um, because, as we know with the Celtic board, it's only when money gets involved that they start getting interested in things. If fans were to turn around and say, we're not going to... Um, renew our season tickets are we going to wait as long as possible to renew our season tickets then Celtic will start making the change personally I really do hope that uh, Dominic Mackay is already working in the background um, that he's doing his own review I'd rather he done his own review I don't want Peter Lowell to be making the decision on the next manager because he's not going to be here you're not going to be able to hold him to account for it I'd rather it was Dominic Mackay that was working in the background to make his own decisions on whether it's going to be a director of football and a manager, whether it's going to be a brand new manager, whatever the new system's going to be. He's the one that's going to have to be held to account for it from next season. You'd rather he done it. Well, the thing with that, Colin, is you, there's an expectancy that obviously there would be an involvement with the decision maker, such as the new CEO to come in, that this review, internal or otherwise, would involve uh, the incoming CEO. That's, I think there's an expectancy that that would be the case because you know he's going to be working uh, with that structure, be that with a director of football, a new manager. Um, but again, I think what happens is, with the silence... It just breeds uh, loads of these, I'm not saying conspiracy theories, but people start to make up their own minds as to what's going on behind the scenes, um, as if nothing's going on behind the scenes. We've seen the change with Peter Lowell announcing that he's retiring. There's the first part of that. There are strong rumours that we will be employing a director of football. And I think the biggest failing at the moment, um, off the football park, Amy, that would be, is just this failure to communicate that with us. Just let us know. I mean, there you go. There is your update. We are continuing to review the situation. The changes are being implemented. Here are the changes so far. And this is what we're also looking at. But I mean, the management review, for me, if you look at the time that's elapsed since that announcement, obviously the management of the football side of things hasn't been good enough. So I think if they come out and say we're going to carry on as is, what do you think the, the outcome of that would be, Amy? Is there a fear factor now uh, with the powers that be that they simply don't want to deliver that bad news? 
I think so. Um, I think as Colin said, it's, it's sort of like just been pacifying the fans with this. Um, if you don't want to make the outcome of the review public, then don't make the initial statement of the review public. Don't let don't let um, the fans know that there's going to be a review. Just conduct an internal uh, review and keep all matters internal. Then I know then that could be a little bit. Um, controversial, perhaps a little bit condescending when we're saying, oh, they're not communicating. But then at least you're not just, it's, it's almost like a sort of false hope. It's a state of false hope that we're all sort of sitting in right now. Um, like you say, I think you're spot on there. I don't, I don't see us getting an outcome of a review now because, like you say, there doesn't look like there's going to be a managerial one between now and the end of the season. And I don't think they'll want to admit that there is. I think they'll just keep going week by week and try and shove it under the carpet as, as much as possible. So I think you, you, you see it that, like you say, it's more of these little like stepping stones. Instead of one huge concrete um, review, they'll go, right, so the, the new CEO's in place. Maybe that'll, that'll maybe keep them quiet for a little while. So they're just, it looks like they're just doing them in little, in little steps. But I, I don't see there just being this big, magnificent review come out and, and, and it be so complete. Because um, I think, as we've all said, it probably would have been done by now. With the new CEO in place, I think that sort of, it's, it's that, it died at the same time that, that Lowell's time did as well. Um, it, it's not ideal. It's far from ideal, and it, it doesn't reflect well on on Lawwell. It doesn't reflect well on the current board. But as as, as we've all sort of said, as long as as long as Mackay's conducting his own sort of review, um, that that is fundamentally all that matters because he is, and it's, it's corny to say, but he is the future. So that's that's all that you have to look, to look to now. Colin, you know. When you're looking at the manner of the, the protests and the, the fact that obviously in order to, to do anything, uh, even to the degree of, of being at Celtic Park with banners prepared, I think back to the last time there was such um, a, a, an uprising almost, if you like, by Celtic supporters. And I think back, and I'm not comparing the scenarios, but obviously the reactions of fans getting organised outside Celtic Park, uh, the sack the board days, whereby there were you know, there was a group. There was like a a group that was the, the you know pivotal to that whole movement, a street group. Um, you know, Celts for Change, which uh, you know that followed Save Our Celts that had come out a wee while before. But you knew that they became the voice of the fans because that that was the go to group. People were able to engage with them. There were rallies. There were, um, you know, they were communicating through back then, believe it or not, uh, fanzines that you had to wait uh, once a month to actually get your update. How incredible is that? What they also did brilliantly was they utilised... Um, paper media, print media back then uh, people might forget this, I've got a whole folder uh, of the paper cutouts from, from the time and they utilised mainstream media channels to get their point across there were, um, you know, there was documentaries there was features on news channels on both the BBC and the STV where members prominent members of the groups were appearing and being interviewed and they were dealing with the mainstream media to get their message out now, I know that times have changed, and the one thing that I would say is that it seems at the moment, Colin, a little bit fractured uh, in terms of the approach. So you've got the Green Brigade. We know that the Celtic Trust have been very vocal. We have an association. We have an affiliation. You then have the American Association, the Irish Association. Then you have a huge voice of influential um, podcasters and bloggers, and you have all of these different voices. But I feel at the moment that the approach is quite fragmented. Do you think there's any way um, of having a, an approach that gets a wider area of the Celtic support and gets their point across? 
Yeah, I mean, in normal times there would be. Um, I think at the minute with the kind of restrictions on travel, with the stay-at-home message, um, with the, the fact that you're not really supposed to congregate, uh, it would be difficult. I know the Celtic Trust have tried this through a number of Zoom meetings. Um, you see, I, th- the, I you think it would be easier. Difficult. I think it would be easier now. We didn't have the methods. We did not have the methods back then that we have now to communicate, to to get organised. We didn't have the the method to do it. I mean, you were literally, you know, you were literally listening to radio shows. You were reading your daily press, and you were getting a monthly fanzine. I mean, these days it's far easier to get organised. It's far easier to integrate different groups. But the, I, I guess the point of being at the ground, like it was back in the day, um, was that the message was put to the board, the board that sit inside Celtic Park. I mean, there's so many Celtic podcasts out there. There's so many different um, Celtic blogs out there. There's loads of different supporters groups. Um, they're not. The message isn't getting across to the board, or if it is getting across to the board, they're just being completely ignorant to it. I mean, there's been multiple times this season where there's been protests outside the ground. There has been... Um, protests on social media all you have to do is take a look at anything that Celtic have tweeted over the last sort of couple of weeks and that image is there of the, the circle with Neil Lennon's face in it and the red line across it mm. That that's, there's multiple posts under there and I think that was the four Tims and the Fod that started that um, it's just I don't, I don't know what the board actually has to see for anything to happen so as much as we can keep doing these protests and yeah, it's good. People are allowed to give their opinion um, and the board should be made aware of the scenario behind um, how the fans feel at the moment because at the end of the day, the board is there to run the club for the fans, not the other way about. Uh, and the fans should have as much say as the board members. Um, you see it now why a lot of clubs have went to fan-owned um, businesses because who's better to run the club than actual fans? At the end of the day, in a couple of weeks' time, they're going to send out these renewal forms for next season. We don't know whether we'll be back in the grounds by then. It is one of the biggest sources of revenue to the club. It brings in over £20 million a year in season ticket revenue. Are you telling me that at the minute there will be a rush to renew for next season, considering how fans have been treated this year? And there's nothing going on in the background right now to try and even get the fans back on side? There's a massive disconnect there. And whether it be we all need to come together to do that or whether there is something going on, I need to see a sign. It doesn't look as if anything's happening. It's Groundhog Day. You wake up and it's the same old, same old. Well, I think that goes back to the very point of the banners being displayed and get all credit to those who have organised it. But I feel that it may be falling on deaf ears. That's my biggest concern, Colin, when it comes to the fact that they were able to ignore the protests outside the ground. They were able to ignore the Lennon Out banners. Um, and it seems to me as though it's just basically they've pulled down the shutters and they're going to get on with their business as is. Do you feel then, I mean, we've had a few different people on with different views in relation to how they're going to approach the renewal of their season ticket and everybody is in their own specific situation be that financially Colin um, or even they're so dismayed by the club that they will refuse to renew it. I don't think it'll get to the point where that renewal time will come and there's been no, I mean come on, 
a club the size of Celtic, there's no way they couldn't communicate between now and then. The charm offensive has to start somewhere, you would think. Well, I mean, here was a, a very simple approach to take. You look at what Dave Cormack did the other day for Aberdeen. He said that they'd spoke to Derek McInnes, they'd reviewed the situation, he'd set the goals going forward for the rest of the season and said that if they weren't met, then they would have to review it again. That's all Celtic need to come out and do. All they need to come out and do is say if if they are going to keep Celtic on, if they are going to keep Neil Lennon on between now and the rest of the season, here is the goals that he has to meet. And if anything changes from that, we'll review the scenario. But the fact that there's absolute silence from the club, we don't even know if anything's going on in the background at the minute. So when you say it's coming round to the fact of when it reaches the renewal deadline or the renewals come out and we should expect to hear something from the club by then, what has happened this season that even you think if you keep going that way, that's what we're going to hear? It's been absolute radio silence. Anything that has come out has been so forced. When you think back to the Peter Lowell interview that came out, it was heavily edited. Uh, the Scott Brown interview with people say that looked as if he's been forced, held by gunpoint to hold the interview. Um, it, it's, it's a complete embarrassment this season. I would be surprised actually now if we get something between now and the renewal deadline. I fully believe that they are so deluded behind the scenes that they think they can just throw it out and because it's Celtic, they'll get the renewals anyway. At least Scott Brown had a light. You know, Anthony Haggerty had done the, <laughs> the match day without the lights on. <laughs> Mr Moultrie. Yeah, they looked like uh, Holly um, out of Red the War. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Now, the Green Brigade banner was unfurled to January review PLC, Parasites, Liars, Charlatans. Amy, what's your thoughts on the message that that's sending to the club? As Colin said, I think that deluded that it's just um, we've got the club's response. They'll probably just brush it under the carpet like they sort of do um, with everything else, it seems. It is a strong message. Um, Maybe before you would go, wow, that's maybe an outsider would look going, that's pretty harsh. That's that's big, that's big, big words you're using there. Um, But it's so apt. If you look at the current state right now, Liars, yeah. Parasites, yeah. Charlatans, I think that's I, I think that that's the word for me. Um, is is the big one. But again, they're probably spot on. I, I quite like parasites. It is they're just harming everything that's 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 within the club. They're they're harming the fans. I just think everything's um, just just it's just a wreckage right now. Um, mm. It's like a ship going wrong. Um, so yeah, it is, it's a strong strong message to send, but. Maybe it needs these if, if if it's gonna if they're gonna listen, which they're not listening to any of them. Maybe it needs to be this this amount of strength in it. Um, you can't sort of say that it's, there's no other ones have been 
there's been ones that have maybe been a little bit too violent and there's been words that, that were taken out, out of context and some of the messages, the gunpoint ones, that's a bit too far. That's just use of words. Um, yeah, words can hit a bit harder, but there's nothing there's nothing there's there's nothing wrong that they have done in saying that. Um like you say, will it make a difference? I don't know if the club even listen now, I really don't. Mm. I mean, I, I guess that's my biggest concern. Uh, these kind of protests, and they are planned, and obviously they get coverage. But the, that really isn't what we're looking for. We're looking for the club to actually take notice of that, um, rather than yeah, it's always going to get coverage. When you see a banner with that styly font, you know that it's the Green Brigade. They normally follow up or do it simultaneously with a statement. We know that that, that is the Green Brigade um, with their statement. That's their protest. But you think to yourself, okay, the mainstream media are going to pick up and it. it's going to be all over Twitter. That's one element of it. But I think the key objective would be that the cl- club actually it lands at the club and they listen and hopefully start to engage. Now, the big message obviously has also been Lennon out. Colin, I'm resigned to the fact that's not going to happen this season. No. Um, and part of the review, the ongoing review, which I'm pretty sure there'll be a liaison between the incoming and the outgoing, will, I hope, will be a new manager. I can't envisage next season Celtic going forward with Neil Lennon at the helm. I really cannot envisage that scenario. Um, but unfortunately, when you're looking at a lot of the available managers and things are going to happen between now and then, particularly at a certain uh, part of the season down in England, Colin, where clubs basically want to make that appointment to save them, to save their season, to yeah. keep them in the Premier League. There's going to be one or two candidates that you're looking at maybe on the, the odds checker thinking, yeah, I quite fancy them for Celtic. They're going to get snapped up. And I think that's mm-hmm. my biggest frustration. The the Lenny ship has sailed as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, you, you read on, on social media, it's almost as if people start using uh, cliches and words that they've heard elsewhere. There is no anti-Neil Lennon agenda on a Celtic state of mind. I've, I've started seeing that cropping up. I think that's lazy. I think the people using that don't actually listen to the podcast, to be totally honest with you they've heard someone else saying it or someone else has, has typed it there is no anti. the guy just isn't doing a job well enough he needs to move on and it's as simple as that but my biggest concern about waiting till the end of the season once again is that the best candidates are going to get snapped up Colin it's a difficult time at the start of next season as well because you've got the Euros the Euros are coming up you've got the qualifiers you've got the Olympics there's a lot of football happening over this summer Um and it looks as if we are going to have to really um, rebuild the squad from basically nothing. There's a lot of players that want to move on. There's players that are already moving on. I'm sure we'll talk about um, El Hamid's departure from the club mm-hmm. as he goes back to Hartwell Beersheva. We've got four loan players that are going to believe in the club. We've got a number whose contracts are up in the summer, including the captain. There's going to be a lot of change at Celtic. And you'd rather that someone came in now to start building for them because you can't get to the last couple of weeks in the transfer window and still be trying to build a squad because that transfer window is closing once the season started. You could be out of Europe by the time that transfer window's closed. You Mm. can't leave it as late as possible. You want someone in now that's looking at players that maybe goes, right, well, this player's available in a pre-contract. That's the kind of player I want. Or that's a player we're going to target in the summer. Let's start getting the groundwork done then. Um, The fact that in the January transfer window, we signed a loan player. That suggests to me that there's no belief that Neil Lennon will be here next season. He'd need to do a complete miracle to be here next season if that is the way that they're looking at it. 
But what is it going to take? We've, we've spoke about Mowbray moments. There's been umpteen Mowbray moments this season, um, and Celtic haven't bit the bullet. But you're right, these managers are going to get snapped up. I reckon West Brom's going to sack Sam Allardyce soon, if they haven't already done it by the time we come off air, because his record down there has been appalling. We said that when he was hired. Mm-hmm. There's guys out there like Mark Hughes, like Eddie Howe. These are the kind of guys that Celtic can get in now that they can start building for next season. But it just seems to be we're kicking the can down the road further and further. We're hoping we pick up the points here and there. And then when it comes to the renewal, so maybe we'll look at it then. That's another, another schooly thought, Colin, could be that um, a deal has been struck, but it can't be announced. It can't be announced. Now, that, that is another way of looking at this situation. They may have a director of football and a management team that they have already discussed the situation with. They can't announce it now because, I mean, what, how, how, would that, um, you know, how would that affect Neil Lennon between now and the end of the season? How would that affect the team between now and the end of the season? So I understand that you know, um, the mechanics may have already kicked into play behind the scenes, but we're not definitively looking for Neil Lennon who will be relieved of his duties in the summer and we've got a new management team lined up. We're just looking for some form of engagement, Amy. Surely that engagement would and take the sting out of some of the some of the messages that are, that are being sent to the club. Now, I think we're all kind of taking it for granted that these things are going to fall on deaf ears. Imagine going to your workplace and being faced with a message saying you're a parasite, you're a liar, and you're a charlatan because it doesn't name any individual. It's talking about the PLC. Now that's going to hit home, and there's a, there's people going in there, those who aren't furloughed at the moment, who are going in to try and do an honest day shift, and you know they're the ones I kind of feel for at the minute that are going in and trying to just get their shift, and they are Celtic people at heart. They might not be on the board. It's bound to affect all of these guys as well. So I think in order to take the sting out of this at the moment, Amy, surely the club need to just come out and start engaging with us. It doesn't have to be, you know, war and peace in a statement. It's simple these days, like I was saying you earlier Colin it's far easier now to engage with your fan base than it was back in the day yeah absolutely you've hit the nail on the head there. it doesn't need to be war and peace it doesn't need to be a complete and utter um, bible screed of, of a review just like you say any sort of engagement just to sort of prove that they are there and they're listening like are we, are we just talking to closed doors are we talking to the four walls just any sort of interaction really just like you say to prove that there is listening. Um, yeah, we may not agree with you. I mean, totally and utterly disagree with you. But just to sort of acknowledge that they are there. Um, I think you're spot on in the way, like you say, that there will be people going into that club who are Celtic through and through. And like you say, it's definitely not aimed at them. But you, you just have to hope that they feel that they know that it's not aimed at them. If, if they take a look um, anywhere else and you would sort of gather that there is there is obviously a, a section of the of the of the club of the board that this message is aimed to, and you just got to hope that um, not even so much that they know that it's for them, for the ones who it's not aimed at, they know it's not them. I think that's the biggest thing. But um, yeah, you're spot on. Like you say, just any sort of interaction, just to prove, look, like you say, we may totally and utterly disagree with you, but just to prove that they are there and there's some sort of life behind those doors, that would just be a It'd go a great way, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I mean, it could well be we share your frustrations. We know that this season isn't good enough for the standards that we've set as a football club. Uh, We're going through a period of great change. There's going to be many, many changes coming our way and we will keep you updated. That is better than silence. 
That's far, far better than silence. But we're not even yeah. getting that. Um, part of the upheaval, and we will get to the comments, loads of comments coming in, uh, people feeling passionately about uh, the lack of engagement coming out of the club at the moment. Um, I mean, even if this forced a statement, I sometimes wonder, Colin, it's almost like a power play. It's almost as though we're not going to make a statement because you've made a statement. You know, it's almost as if we're not going to be backed into a corner because you've unfurled a banner. It uh, kind of takes me back to the Ross County defeat earlier in the season um, when the protests were outside the ground and there were stories in the media that uh, they were ready to sack Neil Lennon that night, but they didn't because of the reaction of the supporters and what happened outside the ground. Now, surely if he was on Shugley Peg then, um, he would have been gone for the results that's happened since. Colin, Colin, remember, keep reminding you, we were number one in Luxembourg last month. You're going to have to explain what a Shugley Peg is. <laughs> I don't think that extends that vernacular extends to Luxembourg um, your, your, jo- your job is in doubt I have no idea <laughs> the job, your job is in doubt you're on a exactly. shugly peg yes Yes. your jacket's um, on a shugly peg thanks for the translation Paul we, we really appreciate that all, all, all the fans there in Luxembourg are coming in, in the comments now well, they're, set, they're certainly listening in uh, exactly, up at number exactly. one not sure who else is in the charts but we're certainly <laughs> at the top of them um, I, I tend to agree with Eamon coming in via Facebook welcome to the show cracking avatar as well um, ignore the fans at your peril and I think that that is key that is key at the moment and what they really need to do is identify the fact that you know we are living in different times Colin and people need this communication, we need this flow of communication because without that, I mean, the vast majority are nowhere near um, the stadium at the moment. So no. obviously the Green Brigade have made a trip up there. We can't go up, we can't vent, we can't speak to the people we speak to outside the grounds on match day. We can't, you know, we, that whole thing has been removed from us and there's a lot of frustration. And I just think that we need to curb that. And the only way to do that is not to ignore the fans, just get engaging with us, you know. Everything is lined up for you to do. It's so easy to engage with the fan base. It's not, as you said, it's not difficult. Um, and it would probably help the club if you got the fans on side. I mean, how, how often do you see things like um, going into the Celtic Superstore and there's pictures of the TIFO displays that the Green Brigade and the other groups do and they're selling the money from, they're, they're selling the pictures of that. They, they go on about how, oh, back in 2003, Celtic won the the UEFA Fair Play Award for the fans. They're going about how we've got the best fans in the world. This is Celtic's words. They keep going on about how important the fans are to the club. But when the fans are looking for answers, it's like they're talking to a brick wall. Nothing comes back the way. The only communication seems to be when everything's rosy. It's like, oh, we, we love the fans, they're fantastic. Oh, hold on, you're, you're questioning us? No, no, we, we don't need to respond back to you. You're only asking for to be updated. Just not even every day, every couple of weeks, this is what's happening at the club. We're trying to get you back into the ground. We know we can't at the minute because um, of what's happening. This is the protocols that we have in place. Um, the last thing we heard from the club was the survey that came out um, round about the time we were trying to get the fans back into the ground. Would you be up for coming in? And there was thousands upon thousands of people that got back to them. There's been nothing came out saying... How are you doing during this lockdown? Are you okay? Is there anything that you're struggling with? Here's a charity we're partnered with. Here's who you can reach out to if you're struggling. There's been nothing. The fans haven't been... There's been no interaction with the fans in what has probably been the most difficult time that a lot of them have lived through in their lives. Mm-hmm. 
And it's the worst time um, to actually, you know, pull the the shutters down because people are struggling. I mean, ex-players, Colin, I've said this before, um, you know, big football clubs have former player associations and you've got to remember that a lot of ex-players are struggling um, as much as your, your normal punter day to day as are their, wed- their widows and there's been ex-elks who have uh, unfortunately passed away during this period and you've got to engage because these are uh, th- these types of people are the, the life's blood of the, the game um, and of your club and you, you know we've got long memories Colin Long, long memories, um, and it's you know it's not about resetting, pressing that button, and everything goes back to normal next season. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of casualties, and I mean that financially in terms of people not being able to do what they did before for some time and it might take a long time for individuals and groups of people to recover before going to the football becomes a given because until that time, you know, it might, as I said before, a season ticket might actually become a luxury. You know, in a lot of households, it's an absolute necessity. But that scale changes depending on finances. Now, Stephen Hughes comes in via YouTube. If you haven't done so already, get on the YouTube channel and subscribe. We have rocketed from under a thousand up to about nine and a quarter thousand in a very short space of time. We are looking to push on and become an even bigger, more influential voice when it comes to Celtic supporters coming in and getting involved. And the contributors, the amount of people who are coming in and joining the team like Amy, uh, I'm not going to give too much away, but you'll see a lot more of Amy in the future because she's working on her own show, which I can't wait to see and hear as well. Looking forward to that one. Now, Stephen Hughes on YouTube. The board don't run the club for supporters. They run the club for shareholders, the viewers as customers. During this period, Amy, is that how you felt? You're just a number? You're just a seat? Yeah, it's just like a bum on seat and the bum's not on the seat, so who cares? Um I, it's, it's just the sort of feeling that, that we're a number um, I think Colin hit the nail on the head there when you're the best set of fans in the world then the club can't wait to, to talk about you, interact with you show you off to the world but the minute you sort of ruffle some feathers because things aren't going your way then they, um, they turn their back pretty quick and you're spot on, we've all got long memories so yeah, it is. I, I think I think that's the perfect way to put it. That's a really good comment. Do, do just sort of feel like a number right now. Mm. Now, Neil Lennon, do you think it's actually Neil? Has <laughs> he come back for part two? I did interview Neil. I might have mentioned that uh, not as often as Colin mentioned the fact that he was at the Lazio game away, but I have mentioned it. Um, it would be great to get a part two, but you know I don't think the chances of that are great. Uh, regarding ticket sales, says Neil, if the club is in a difficult financial position, surely they need fan support to know and understand the circumstances. Absolutely. They need to communicate with us directly. You know if that message isn't even a very positive message? You know if the message is, actually, you know, we need your support more than ever because we are going to enter a period of... Uh, financial strain over that's going to last 18 months to two years this is the kind of thing we, we as supporters need to know why are the club not making these uh, big big decisions well it could be completely financial it could be that we don't want to pay out a compensation package for three or four individuals just tell us just talk to us about it you know and actually lay it down because um, I think they've been very cautious because they've also got members of staff to look after Neil Lennon is employed by the club and they need to keep his interests uh, at the forefront of any decision that's made obviously but we, we need to know um, why for example Colin the transfer window 
you know, I don't think Celtic fans were expecting us to go out and buy a couple of marquee signings. Uh, but you're looking at that and you're thinking that's part of the fact that we are we, we are desperate for a right back. We had to bring in a right back. It's a short term solution to a situation which actually has been made even worse with the footage last night, Colin, of Ilhamid touching down in Israel, uh, unlikely ever to return uh, back to Celtic. Interestingly enough, it was tweeted out by the same agent who said that it was fake news that he was leaving. So you, yeah, you, you just hand, don't yeah. Yeah, you just don't know who to believe these days when it comes out even of an official kind of channel. So yeah, he definitely is um on his way out at Celtic. And I've heard reports that Near Beaton could be following him uh, to Maccabi mm-hmm. Tel Aviv. So we are in this uh, period of transition, Colin. That follows Frimpong and Encham leaving albeit in Cham is on loan at the moment it looks as though it's going to be a full-time move for him I look at all those names and who are we going to miss Elhamid, Frimpong and Cham Beaton or is it more of a an overview it's just weakening the squad the depth of the squad because as individuals who was contributing to the first team there well you know Beaton was um, and Frimpong was and Cham really wasn't Elhamid this season yeah. hasn't are they going to, I mean, this this is going to continue. There's going to be much more people departing. Do you think, you know, it's just, it was always going to happen anyway? Yeah, it's a sort of natural conclusion of this era, I think. Um, no matter how successful teams are, if you look through history, there's always a new era that comes through. Um, you take a look at, say, for example, the Barcelona squad under um, Pep Guardiola, and you look at the success that they had. And they had guys like Xavi, Iniesta, David Villa, Messi. They had to go through a transition period. They had to take that away. They brought in um, Neymar to try and transition them through. They're going through it again now. They'll probably go through it again when Messi departs the club. So it happens all over football. And the, the good players that you want to keep at the club, some of them have to move on because they want to grow as a footballer. I mean, Chris Ayer will probably move on in the summer. And I don't think anybody will grudge him that because he's given a lot to Celtic this season. I'd say he's probably been our best player this season. Um, and you just know that he's going to go on and do fantastic things when he goes forward. Um, Kieran Tierney moved on. And at the time, a lot of Celtic fans saying, no, look, what are you doing? But now you, you see the, the Celtic supporters that are continuing to follow his career because they know that he's trying to better himself. Virgil van Dijk in the top three in the world at the Ballon d'Or. That people are going to move on from Celtic and as much as we've got an emotional attachment to them, when they, they'll move on for the sake of their career. There's very few players that are going to stay at the one club for the whole of their career. No. So when you look at what's going to come in in the summer, um, th- there is going to be a fresh new blood of players. There's going to be new fans' favourites come through the door, and we don't even know who they are yet. See the big thing for me, Colin? As a football fan, um, we're long at a point where we, we realised long ago that Celtic does have that shelf life in terms of players coming and going. The frustration for me is when they haven't reached the end of their cycle. I knew Van Dijk had reached the end of his cycle at Celtic, Wanyama, Megidi, Kison Young, Fraser Foster, all of these guys, it was time for them to go, Dembele even. I think the disappointment with Frimpong and also Kieran Tierney uh, due to his connection with the club, the fact that he is a true fan of the club, you just didn't think it was the end of their cycle at Celtic and that's where the disappointment creeps in because it, it turns into business it turns into business because the, the offer that's on the table is so good the club's going to take it so yeah. even though you think even for the players development but also the development of the side it would have been best for us to keep Kieran Tierney it probably would have been best for us to keep Frimpong 
this is where the business kicks in. This is where the business model kicks in. And it doesn't matter what the fans think. We're going to sell them to balance the books. Um, and yeah. that, I think, is a big frustration. I'm going to go back. There's some brilliant comments coming in. I'm going to go back to this time. I remember uh, reading the programme one day, Colin, uh, back in the back in the dark old days. And Pat McGinley was on the spot. You know that on the spot feature you got in the programme. Yeah. And it was it was about uh, what was your ambition as a footballer or something. And he said signing for AC Milan. And I remember reading that thinking, how dare you? How dare you want to leave Celtic for the likes of AC Milan, who are one of the best teams in Europe? But even then you thought, no, you play for Celtic. I used to like it in the 80s where Peter Grant would ask, who's your favourite second team? He would say Celtic Reserves. That's the kind of answer I want, not AC Milan. But there's a wee bit of this creeping in as well. So Frimpong, he talks about the ambition. He talks about an offer he couldn't refuse, going to Germany, playing in a bigger league, playing for Leverkusen. And, you know, similar things coming out of the... Oliver Olivier and Cham's camp in terms of when Marseille ask you it's like Barcelona Real Madrid asking you yeah I get that it's for a Frenchman going back to France and Marseille's obviously a big club in France but we are at that stage now aren't we where we're, we just can't compete we can't punch at that level I mean, how frustrating is that as a fan base yeah absolutely um, I guess is what I think I'm probably I'm a bit ignorant to it, I think due to my age because I think no matter what, even in the last 10 years, yeah, we've had great success. But even if 10 years ago, if a player wanted to go to AC Milan, I'd still be like, oh my God, wow, off they go. Um, because I think that's just sort of, like, I've grew up in such a stage of, like, it is just all money-based. Um, so like, I like, you know, like what you're saying. But to me, I don't, I think, I, I think I'm think i probably a little bit more relaxed to it and a bit accustomed. Of course, like, there's certain things like Frimpong, you, st- you, you look at Bayer Leverkusen and you're like, undoubtedly they're in a better league Bundesliga is massive um, but you just sort of look like oh right but but then you would go all oh, right Celtic maybe European football but we can't really offer that right now so I don't know I I, I do pin it to my age that I think I'm a little bit more um, acceptance of it because I just think I'd, as, as sad as it is to say but I do think that's the level that you're saying that right and Cham going to Marseille is a really big club and Frimpong Leverkusen it's a big club for me they are big clubs because they've been the big clubs that I've I've been watching um, yeah again I think I'm probably a, the wrong person to come to about this because I think I'm a little bit more accepting yeah because it's part of your generation isn't it yeah. Um, but again, you know, it, it's one of the things that in time you, you start to accept it. Uh, you do start to accept, accept it, even when you've seen the, the good old days when Peter Grant would only want to play for Celtic reserves uh, other than Celtic. You realise that those days are long gone and the, the game that we're now playing um, has moved on. What I don't want is for Celtic to be left behind in, in the great scheme of things. And I think we had a good discussion yesterday about this Colin whereby I'm going to ask you as a Celtic season ticket holder what is Celtic's vision for the next five years I mean you don't know and don't why don't why don't you know why don't you know and if you don't know how, how can you know a club or, or sorry a player who's looking for a new club know you as a Celtic season ticket holder don't know what's the European aspirations for the next five years you should know that but you don't yeah. because it's never been engaged to you yeah there's been no communication on it I mean, things change so often. I mean, you had uh, Ian Bankhead and Peter Lawwell coming out not that long ago saying we need to start qualifying for the Champions League. But it's not because of the prestige of being in the Champions League or the fact that we can go and compete in it. It's the fact that they get the money from it. That's the thing that they're, they're looking for. Celtic, realistically, are a Europa League team. They will be able to do things in the Europa League that will be better than just 
getting into the Champions League, picking up the money and finishing bottom of the table. If that's what they want, the way they want to progress in Europe, it will be through the Europa League. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, everybody loves the Champions League. You want to get into the Champions League. Uh, you want to get in and play the games against the, the Bayern Munichs and the, the Barcelonas and the Real Madrids. And you'll love having those nights at Celtic Park under the lights. Um, and you've got some of the best memories of that. But realistically, a lot of the best runs that we've had have been in the secondary competition, whether it be the UEFA Cup or the Europa League. We made the final in 2003. We've made quarterfinals last season, getting out of the group stage with two games to go. I mean, that's something that Celtic can do well in if they focus on it. Obviously, the money's not there. But what's more important to trying to sell that to a player? Is it the fact that you can develop, you can play regularly in Europe? Or it's, uh, we'll try and get into the Champions League and if we don't get the money, then so be it. I was asked the other week there actually by uh, another podcast, Michael runs the Going the Match podcast and he asked me the question how you know all these other clubs who previously might have been looked upon as kind of European minnows over the last 20 years have overtaken Celtic and you know they appear they appear regularly at the top table Colin and I think you know the frustration for me is I still see Celtic as having that potential and I've watched them from my earlier kind of days uh, where European football just was, wasn't something you've seen very often after Christmas you got a couple of rounds at best and then the rise, obviously, with Martin O'Neill coming in, and we got to, uh, you know, beyond Christmas for the first time in 20 years. It was just incredible. But then that, be- then, like Amy said before, a new generation of fans becomes accustomed to the European football. That we're a European side, and then you know to fall off that cliff again and, and not quite go back to the bad old days, but where we're not competing again. It's frustrating for me. You look at the the turnover of the club, for example, and this all ties in with the the incoming. CEO Dominic McKay. I must look at that and think, well, you know, what, what's the all-time high turnover column? Like 80 odd million or something for a club like Celtic. Like that, yeah. Yeah. And you think, well, the worldwide global fan base um, can be tapped into better. You know, if they can't tap into the the regional fan base, how can you expect to tap into your worldwide fan base? We're not doing that well enough. And you know, someone coming in with ambitions for Celtic might say, "Well, we should actually be better than eighty odd million pound turnover a year. We might be. We should maybe be aiming to get hundred million a year. And the only way you can do that is with European success. So, although you feel as though it's there and it's too far away from a club like Celtic, if you don't strive to get there, you will never ever increase the turnover, you'll never increase the buying power, which then allows you to reinvest, and I think Dominic Mackay is all about reinvestment uh, You know, increasing the turnovers, but reinvesting it in the club, rather than stockpiling cash, um, and by the way stockpiling cash, ironically enough is probably the reason why Celtic will come out of this, not unscathed but they will come out of this, uh, as a football club, whereas others will falter or take years to recover financially mm-hmm. from it so it's a double-edged sword a very difficult uh, club to run I'm sure but the fan base is the most important part of that Colin and it's a worldwide it's a global fan base that Celtic need to tap into and engage with uh, going forwards now there's other players who have been mentioned in relation to this uh, uh, uprising of Celtic the new Celtic if you like and there's been reports uh, over the last couple of days about El Yunusi. Uh, Amy, El Yunusi might be available uh, for a cut price £5 million being cited um, is that a kind of investment you would expect Celtic to make on a player like uh, Moy? I see it when they definitely, they'll definitely um, consider do I agree? if he could just show a little bit of consistency 
which maybe is a bit ironic. Um, if you could just show a little bit of consistency, get a run of games. And the thing is, though, then, then I think his goal scoring record this season is pretty decent. If you look at it, considering mm-hmm. um, the games that he's been out as well, for five million, that's probably not too bad. You're going to get a guy who's coming right in, so he's integrated. You've not got that issue. It is pretty seamless. So in that sense, five million is not too bad, um, considering as well what the numbers were were sort of talked about before. I, if, like I say, if if we could put a a great showing on between now and um, the end of the season, then absolutely snatch him up. I think is I think it's a tough one because I don't know if the diamond and then the two up top sort of suits him. I think that's mm-hmm. maybe where the issue is right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but five million, it's in today's market. That's that's pretty decent for internationalist, a bit of Premier League experience. And like I say, I think the key part is he is already integrated into the squad, so it would just be he'd just be coming right in, and everything would be would sort of be there in place. A quick look at trans- transfer market, Sorry. Colin. I know I know you use this yourself, but fifty three appearances, including substitute appearances, with a return of twenty goals and twelve assists, is as Amy said. I mean, that's a good record for someone who's not playing through the middle primarily. Um, in terms of the five million, the way Celtic will look at it, I think, Colin, is what's his selling value? If we do get him that consistency that that Amy mentioned, what is his selling value? Could you sell a player like El Unice? And again, this comes back to what we've just said there. If you don't play at that top level in terms of Europe, the selling value is not going to be as much either. If you can put a player on that platform, Colin, and you've bought him for five million and he has a, a decent campaign uh, in the Champions League, I mean, that's how he came to the attention of the, the English big guns, isn't it? So, what's your yeah. thoughts on El Yanusi? Five million seems a lot when you pay it for Barcast, but as Amy says, it could be a good investment. Uh, I honestly think his best position, if you're going to play that diamond, is just off the strikers. Um, I don't think he's got the pace to be a winger. Um, he doesn't seem to be that quick. And if you look at some of the kind of highlight videos of him, it's always playing behind the strikers is where he's um, most active. I know mm-hmm. we've already mentioned it, um, but let's go back to Lazio last year. Um, and if you look at the highlights of that game over there, he's the guy that wins the ball back, that plays it out to Forrest, and Forrest gets the shot away to score. He's the guy that's sort of running that position in midfield. Between him, Turnbull and McGregor, that is a, a fantastic triangle in the middle of the park. It then comes back to what else are you going to play? Are you going to try and play fullbacks or are you going to try and play wingers? Because we've really missed the assists and the goals from James Forrest this season. But then that's up to the new manager if we get one in to decide how to play that formation. But I think he's best in the hole behind the, the two strikers or the one striker. £5 million for a guy that Southampton paid £16 million for only a couple of years ago. He's still pretty young. There's a good chance that Celtic will double that investment. It seems the kind of signing that Celtic would make. Um, it just all comes down to what the, the market's going to be like in the summer. I think there's a, a massive change in the market. If you look at the Ben Davies deal, Liverpool didn't even pay that £2 million up front. That was £500,000 up front. So mm. it's not to suggest that Celtic will be paying £5 million this summer. It may be structured over a number of years. Um, but even at that, I think £5 million is a good price. Yeah, this is one for you, Amy. Probably you, you as well, Colin. And I need to read this out. This comes in from someone who comments on a regular basis on a Celtic state of mind. It is indeed Red Scotland. Here is a vision of the past for you. If you never enjoyed going to the jungle at Celtic Park. In a jungle on a cold winter's day, the warm urine running down the back of your leg from a supporter behind you fair warmed you up. Amy, that actually used to happen. 
Can you imagine that? You know, and, and there was this there was this stream of said urine um, running down the terrace and into the, the front area where all the kids used to stand. Brilliant. Great days. See, the romance of football sometimes is lost uh, when you look at these beautiful stadiums that we go to now and, and comfy or otherwise seats. Um, someone else came in here, and I'm going to bring this one up despite the language, and I do apologise. It's the Pona Boy, the Suits and Prawn Sandwich punters pee off the true fans. Talking about pee a lot in today's bulletin. Uh, off the true fans. <laughs> well, you know this. The Prawn Sandwich, I remember the quote. It was Roy Keane, wasn't it? Roy Keane said the Prawn, prawn Sandwich Brigade, and that's now become the name for people who go corporate or pay for hospitality. I... I am going to have to counter that because I think there's a lot of guys out there and girls who build up working class people who build up successful businesses and they end up thinking, well, you know what? I'm going to use this as part of my business. I'm going to get hospitality corporate. And it is, yeah, the suits, um, the prawn sandwich brigade. But they're investing a lot of money in Celtic as well, Colin. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. Um, I, I mean, there is a, a kind of divide, I think, between fans that uh, go to games everywhere and then this this prawn sandwich brigade that we speak about especially when it comes down to like away tickets um, for grounds where there's a lower allocation and you see maybe guys that are travelling week in week out um, they've got a, a history of sort of 17 out of the last 20 games last season and that should entitle them to a ticket to Aberdeen or to Ibrooks or wherever um, and then you see the people that don't go to the away games are part of this prawn sandwich brigade and they get the tickets and that's where a lot of the sort of fallout happens between the fans but you're right Everyone wants to better themselves, and if someone's got the ability to spend that kind of money, then we shouldn't really look on them um, as sort of above anybody else, because I don't really think a lot of them do either. At the end of the day, it's money that's coming into the club. They're spending a wee bit more than what other fans are spending. They're getting something a wee bit extra for it. Um, But what are they getting this year? I think they got a hamper. Was it a a cheese and wine hamper they got at Christmas? Not not everybody. Not everybody. Well, I, I mean, mean, they still got to put up with the dodgy Celtic TV streams the same way as everybody else. Aye, so there was no, there was no added. Yeah, there's no added incentive. Jungle Lion, I think, I take this point actually. Moy, a sunshine player, as they say in Dublin, he is one of these guys who, you know, when the chips are down. Remember the famous quote, Colin. When Fergus McCann was uh, in the, the talks with David Ginola. Can you remember him, Amy? David yeah. Ginola, the French. Aye, you raise your eyebrows, yes. Uh, the Frenchman who used to do the shampoo adverts. He's coming over from France. Celtic actually had him in a room. Willie Hockey was in the meeting, and Fergus McCann was in the meeting. And, um, you know, Tommy Burns obviously was the manager at the time. He was in the meeting. And McCann uttered the immortal line Can you play a wet Brockville on a Tuesday night to Ginola? Just as they're kind of talking. And that always stuck with me. Willie Hockey, I think, told the story in a book, a Celtic book. It always stuck with me. And I think Moyes a wee bit like that. When the chips are down, Colin, where you need to dig in to get a result, he's not the guy you look at. Well, I remember his debut um, at a wet and windy uh, New Douglas Park or whatever it's called now. Um, and for the first 10, 15 minutes, he was outstanding. Um, and then he sort of faded out of the game. I think he set up the, the only goal of that game, finished 1-0. Um, and that was one of the coldest games I went to last season. That, and that was in the summer as well. It wasn't as if it was a winter game. It was just a cold summer's afternoon. Um, less said about Hamilton after the last couple of days, the better. Uh, but yeah, I think he is one of those players that, as um, Amy quite rightly said, he's either a sort of, I don't know, like a, a three or a four out of a ten, or he can be a nine. Um, and he doesn't show that consistency enough. But 
if you take his goals out of the team this season, where would we be? This is a big thing with Jamesy Forrest, isn't it? When he's in the team, uh, Amy, people you know, criticise him quite a bit. But when you take his goals and assists out of the team, we suffer. And you look at that, 53 appearances, that's including substitute appearances by El Yunusi. He's been involved or scored 32 goals in 53 games. That's, that is a good record. You take that out of the team, Colin, as you say, and then we're struggling right and left of the park, which has been a big issue with regards to the width. Some of the feedback coming in, Red Scotland says a better manager will make a real player out of Moy. I tend to agree with that. Um, and then David comes in to say, Moy, no work rate, plays one in five. Know the type we need, lazy. I think during this season, I've always said I wouldn't have had in Cham, El Yunusi and Rogic on the same pitch at the same time because you're only going to get one performance out of the three of them. And I think that, that really uh, echoes David's view that he is inconsistent, isn't he? Or he appears to be inconsistent to the naked eye. Uh, but when you look at his record there, it is pretty impressive. Nick Chekets comes in to say he is a player under a top manager. He will thrive. And Grant comes in to disagree slightly. would not take El Yunusi for £5 million. No for me. Um, I don't think it would be good for the player. I don't think he'd be interested to extend that loan deal. Who was the last guy who had so many loan deals at Celtic, Colin Watt? Fraser Foster. Fraser Foster. Fourth. Yeah. Was so, mm-hmm, didn't come back for a fifth. Yeah. But yeah, these are the things that we will be considering. We'll be considering a Celtic without Nir Beaton, who's been at the club seven or eight years. Um, these guys who have been kind of staple parts of the, the team for a while, Colin. I think we brought in a right-back because without... Doing so, they, they knew the writing was on the on the wall for Alhamid, even though the agent denied that for a spell. Mm-hmm. All we have is we've got Ayer playing out of position at right back, and then we've got Tony Ralston. Um, but you know, Amy mentioned Tony Ralston the other week there, and I don't think many people agreed with that. But he's our only, you know, he is the only Celtic uh, right back, natural right back. Uh, who's a Celtic player so we've had to bring in John Joe Kenny um, the other thing I want to talk about obviously is um, Albion Ayeti was cleared and I think that was the right decision I think you would all agree with that yeah he was cleared but what does that say about the system what does it say about the system where he's cleared and Neil Lennon comes out and even speaks about Devontae Cole in relation to no further action uh, with him being not being cited yet Albion Ayeti's cited you know the, the system needs looked at it needs to be reviewed Colin would you agree with that yeah, it's just a discussion that um, myself and Anthony Haggerty had on the Insomniac podcast just before that. Shameless was, plug, shameless <laughs> plug. <laughs> was the standard of refereeing across um, all of football. And we, we spoke about the death threats that Mike Dean got because of the red cards that he'd produced. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of glad to say that that's not happened in Scotland because that's absolutely um, appalling. That should never happen. But the, the standard of refereeing across the board is terrible. There's not a referee out there that you'd say, oh, I'm looking forward to seeing what he does because everybody's, and <laughs> rightly or wrongly it was said, consistency is key and we don't see consistency across the, the match officials this season. Um, and that's all you can really ask for. Amy, see when you look at the consistency of referees, um, not just this season, but it's been highlighted massively this season because obviously, you know, we we strip back every single element of Celtic's performance, every single element and nuance of the game, and we're looking at consistency being key. I, I mean, it's no it's no coincidence when you look at. Uh, the, the league table of red cards or the league table of penalties against and you think well 
you know, there is no consistency. The whole system needs to be ripped up and completely reviewed. We had a, a discussion yesterday with Natasha in relation to VAR. Uh, you talk to English football fans, you know, they loathe it. They absolutely loathe it. But there must be a better way. Um, I've always, you know, suggested that we need to have professional refs. We need to have full-time referees. I mean, having a, a part-time ref who's a solicitor by day and a referee by night and, you know, juggling two professions like that, I don't think uh, contributes to their performance. Uh, going forward, what would you like to see in the Scottish game? I really liked um, listening to Insomniac earlier. Let's plug Colin show more. Um, I think... Oh, this is, shows how well I was listening. I don't know if it was himself or if it was Anthony. I don't know if it was himself or Anthony who um, said it, but I quite like the idea of um, the, like fast track and ex pros. I think that's a really interesting point. Um, I'll be honest. I live in a house with two referees. My dad and my brother are both. Um, I've both done. They're. They're. I've both got it. So I can't. We have. To, I have to be careful. It's not always the referee's fault. Um, but hey, there has to be something. I think it was really interesting as well. Colin was saying earlier that sixteen. It's like sixteen years experience until you can get. Like it takes sixteen years to sort of get into the Premier League. I understand that's down south, but there needs to be some sort of more dedication to it. Um, because, like you say, I think Willie Collins are an RE teacher or something, isn't it? Like, there's, mm-hmm. it's not full. It is. I'm not saying that they're not committees, but there's something that's. It is like you say. It's not a full time concentration because you, you, you they haven't they have another life. So, um, I it's there, there does need to be something. I do like you say. I know my dad's upstairs. I have to be really careful. Um, it's just. I, I, I do agree that there has to be something more sort of like full time. I really do like the idea that expos sort of getting a a fast track. That's that's pretty. Um, I don't know if it would work though, because as they discussed earlier on Insomniac, you couldn't exactly have Scott Brown refereeing a game at Ibrox or something. I'd like love that. to see that. I'd love to see it. <laughs> there we go. Um, but yeah, there needs to be there needs to be some sort of professionalism in because I think the thing you could sort of see is that as as long as there was a. Um, a, a, a minority even of, of professional refs then you could have the, the ex-pros come in but the likes there needs to be like a, a section of full-time professional referees because the standards across it is just not good enough No, I'd agree with that Now there, there is a game as far as I know it's still on at the moment Colin tonight Linda yep. Grace Watson thanks for joining us on YouTube Yeah, I think it's going to be a very tough game tonight uh, We keep talking about Mowbray moments and the other day there I was saying let's remember Mowbray for some, some of his better moments at Celtic and his, his better contributions to Celtic but um, I don't think there's going to be a Mowbray moment for Lennon this season uh, even if you know tonight and I would never want Celtic to drop points anywhere or even in one of the, the final derby games of the season Colin I don't think there's going to be uh, a moment where the, the board says we can't go on any longer I think they've got a fixed plan in place between now and the end of the season and they're not going to deviate from it but let's have a quick look at tonight's game how do you see that one going? Um, I think there'll be very few changes from the game at the weekend um, it's fantastic we've got a settled back four the bad news is taking till February for that to happen. Um, and you've now got John Joe Kenny, um, Chris Iyer, Welsh and Greg Taylor as your back four. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've, they've done fairly well so far since they came in. Um, Scott Bain is going to be the number one. Oh, that is very nice. Um, Scott Bain looks to be the number one, rightly or wrongly. I probably wouldn't have him as my number one, but he'll be in goal. The diamond in the midfield of Sorrow, McGregor, Turnbull, and I probably put Rogic at the top of that. 
Um, I think he's, he's played fairly well at the weekend. Um, and I would go with Eddie and Ayeti again. Um, I think Ayeti will get a lot more opportunities tonight. Um, that goal uh, against Kilmarnock, a week ago now, that seems as if it was only the other day, but it was a week ago now, just shows what he can do when he gets into the positions. And I think you've got to let that partnership get the time to, to work together with Eddie and see what they can get out of it. Having Griffiths coming off the bench is a good option as well. Mm. So, you know, not a repeat of what we've seen at Celtic Park then, Colin? In I'm terms of the result? Not. I'm hoping not. Um, but you just don't know, do you? Um, <laughs> it's going to be a, a tough game. It's a tough place to go. St Mirren, um, you've seen what happened to Rangers when they went there in the League Cup earlier in the season. Um, they can be a fantastic team on their day. Then you've got uh, the kind of conditions, the weather. Is the snow going to come back on? Um, what, what's it going to be like? Will the park be difficult to play on? It's just the three points. You just need to get the three points and just keep going. Um, a couple of goals and a, a good performance would be a bonus. But just keep the three points and just take it from there. Last word uh, from Amy, the only one who talks sense on this podcast. Amy, what's your thoughts on tonight's game? Oh, I just totally and utterly agree with Colin. Um, no, um, <laughs> I as Colin, I think it's going to be. It's a bit like you say, it's a tough one because the weather's going to. Obviously, I don't know what it's like through there, but it could definitely come into come into play. But um, I think, as Colin said, I don't see too many changes from the weekend. I think more than anything, um, especially with Ayeti's ban being overturned, it's just so vital that he gets a start. Uh, consistency needs his confidence, but yeah, I can't see too much difference. But um, yeah, I'll go two now. Excellent. Um, I would like to again say thank you to everybody for getting involved. Uh, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube are the places to find a Celtic State of Mind on a daily basis. If you haven't done so already, please register, subscribe, follow, retweet and all that kind of stuff on our social media channels. Um, every single Wednesday we are joined by Colin Watt and Amy Canavan for the Axon Bulletin. And all that's left for me to say is thank you to you both of you for joining me on a Celtic State of Mind. What's up, guys? This is MMA fighter Clay Guida, and I'm not afraid of anyone or anything, but losing my hair was an entirely different kind of fight. So if you're suffering from hair loss like I was, then you got to check out my boys at Bosley. Pound for pound, they are the champions of hair restoration. That's why I turned to Bosley to get my hair back. The entire Bosley team was so professional and kind from start to finish. All it took was a simple one-day procedure, and I was on my way back to rocking my full hair again. So take it from me. Don't wait if you are thinning or receding. I'm so thrilled with my results, I just wish I would have went to Bosley sooner. It's time to finally knock out hair loss because the best is yet to come. Check out Bosley today.
When MMA fighter Clay Guida was losing his hair, he trusted Bosley to get it back. Now it's your turn. Get a free information kit, plus get a $250 off gift card when you text SCORE to 203203. That's text SCORE to 203203. Don't wait. Text SCORE to 203203. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Sports Social Podcast Network.